0: potential, and possibilities, discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome everybody again to another episode of our show. We're bringing you another fascinating guest today uh, who's helping to create a better tomorrow on many different fronts. Uh, As as a little background to today's show, uh, the Sodexo uh, Company is a a French food services and facilities management organization. Uh, It's headquartered outside of Paris and it currently employs over 400,000 employees across 80 different countries uh, and they serve many different sectors. Including private corporations, government agencies, uh, schools, anywhere from, from preschool to university, uh, as well as hospitals, clinics, assisted living facilities, military bases. Uh, and every day they are responsible for an amazing, serving an amazing 100 million consumers' meals. Uh, and today we have the honor of being joined by John Wright, uh, who is Senior Vice President and Global Head of Food at Sodexo uh, and has served in various roles. Uh, of increasing responsibility over the past 25 years, uh, including management of both Sodexo Signature Brands and the National Brand Portfolio, uh, consumer insights to offering development uh, and management of various internal uh, design teams, culinary, retail food management system teams. Uh, A lot of very interesting things to talk about today. Um, And with that introduction, John Wright, thank
1: you so much for taking the time to come on the show today and talk with us. No worries, thank you for the opportunity
0: it's great to have you here um you know, John, i'd love to start things off like we typically do by by handing our guest the floor just for a little bit if you could just uh, talk a little bit for a few minutes about yourself a little bit about uh, where you grew up uh, how you ultimately got interested in, in the hospitality industry i saw you worked at marriott uh, a few decades ago uh, and a little bit of the early career journey i think that'd be a, a great way to start things off
1: yeah sure um well um I've all had a, an interest and passion around food. I think that's something that uh, that goes back to me from an early age. Um, I actually spent a lot of my early life, uh, I was brought up actually in the Middle East. So uh, I was actually, uh, as a child, I was in Abu Dhabi in the mm-hmm. United States Emirates. So that's kind of where I started. And, um, you know, I I, I kind of you know had an opportunity then to experience many different types of cuisine particularly in the emirates it was very big on kind of lebanese and some of those interesting influences and, and flavors um so i grew a passion for food and it's something that uh, i was really interested in so i actually started my career at Heathrow for the one of a better word and uh, i was in retail um in Heathrow so uh in, I have actually worked in all of the terminals, with the exception of Terminal 5, because uh, that wasn't open when I was there. Um, but yes, I had a real opportunity to work um, in that environment, which was very, very fast paced, high volumes, um, very, very unpredictable. Uh, our, whole, our whole life revolved around the weather and, uh, and aircraft. So it was, it was very, very different um, and very, very challenging. Um, and then I decided that um, that I wanted to do something a little bit different, um, and decided that um, I'd like to come into food service. And strangely enough, uh, the choice that I made, and I was very lucky when I applied to be accepted by all of the major players, um, and predominantly within what would be known as the business and industry sector, which was probably more aligned what I was doing in retail, but I actually chose not to go into business and industry and initially started in the, what was then called the education and healthcare sector. So I actually went into, in the UK, into independent schools, state schools, uh, some universities and also healthcare. So, and the reason I did that, I thought it would be quite interesting to apply my retail experience and knowledge into a very very different um i suppose a really different type of business um you could say within the university business the retail was quite similar um, to the airport environment from a from a retail perspective but a fair amount of the business with what we would call consumption so the provision of meals to be it patients or visitors or independent schools, et cetera. So I did that for a number of years um, and I was responsible for some of the leading independent schools in the UK um, and then finally ended up made the transition in, into um, corporate services within the UK uh, where I was uh, ended up being a divisional director and I ran kind of part of London and the whole east of the UK, um, and so that was kind of more akin to to where I came from, uh, because I ran the region with the retail principles that where I came from. Um, I was seen as um, changing up the model. So um, after a fair amount of persuasion, I was convinced by the UK managing director to move out of operations and then move into a marketing role and I was head of marketing for for business industry corporate services within the UK Um, and so that's kind of that's how I ended up going from very strong operational role into a functional marketing role Mm -hmm. Uh, and um, that worked really really well for me and then I was approached by the group to go work in the group function within marketing. So then I was, I, whilst I continued to live in the UK, I went across and uh, worked for group. So headquartered effectively out of Paris, mm-hmm. but with a global reach. Um, and that was really, really exciting. Uh, huge amount of travel, um, very, very diverse, um, which was great, which was really, really um, interesting. It also was interesting in that I'd historically worked in what I would call very mature markets like the UK and like France, um, but having a global role uh, had responsibility for very very mature markets, you know like the US, like the UK, like France, but also uh, where we were seeing huge growth, so South America and Asia which was uh, very, very interesting in terms of, you know, in some part of the world, you're looking at driving the top line revenue in terms of how you grow the overall business. And then in some of the other parts of the world, more top line than we could have hoped for, but then how do you transition that um, into profitability in terms of how do you, how do you manage that? Um, so that was kind of my role in, 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 um, in, in a global marketing function. Then I came across to the US, I came across to the US in 2012 with a brief to be kind of to build the bridge and coordination between the main segments here in the USA which uh, worked really really well um, and then we went into what we call you know that we, we transformed the business and we moved a lot more away from individual countries into much more global segments um, and then they created what is now what we call within select so service operations so kind of the i would say the technical arm in terms of building our tools and our processes and ways of working on behalf of the business um and they asked me to head up the global food platform which is what i do today so that's kind of the transition in terms of where i started within retail How I ended up into food service and then how I moved from an operational role into marketing and now uh, heading up the global food platform. And I think, you know, I think one of the reasons why for me, I think it works is my background is operational. So I really understand, hopefully, um, that in terms of some of the challenges that we face at an operational level. So I can understand how we need to be practical in the solutions that we build. But then obviously having done marketing for a significant number of years, understanding how that needs to be wrapped and packaged and communicated into the business. So I think in terms of having that broad skill set equips me quite well to do the role that I currently do in terms of leading our overall global food platform in terms of the way that we work.
0: Got it. Got it, and, and, you know, continuing along that, you know, I, I mentioned some of sort of the, the stats uh, in the intro in terms of, you know, 100 million consumers, 80 countries, uh, some other interesting things that I came across. Uh, you know, the, obviously the company was, uh, it goes back to the 1960s. You're on the, the Fortune Global 500 list. You're the, the second largest employer uh, amongst the French multinationals. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, Sodexo, obviously, we, we know the name, but we don't hear much, as much about it it per se as a, as a more consumer-facing brand, but obviously when you, uh, you have a much, as you were just saying, a much broader purview in the sense that uh, not only do you have to uh, understand the difference between what someone in a, in a school may want versus uh, the cafeteria at, uh, at a government agency, but obviously the my, my, my child's high school here in, in, in Center City, Philadelphia, they might have a different interest than a child in Abu Dhabi or a child in the UK and so forth. Uh, quite a diverse... <laughs> (laughs) portfolio that you have to oversee talk a little bit more about this if you would and tell us some interesting uh sort of fun facts if you would about the food service business as you've sort of evolved through this over the last few decades
1: yeah sure i i i think you're absolutely right is that we're we're almost um an organization that sits behind a lot of organizations and we're not necessarily um front-facing um and you know, and I think that that um, brings some unique challenges and brings us some unique opportunities. I, I think that um, what I would say is that um, that the, the breadth and depth that uh, Sodexo has as an organisation, um, I think brings a huge amount of responsibility as well, because... You know, if you think about it is that potentially we could literally see somebody from when they first start to eat their meals yep. so in like a like in a, an elementary school or and then they could be with us all the way through through their working careers if unfortunately you have to go into hospital we could be serving them in the hospital mm-hmm. and then we could be serving them in a retirement home um, and so literally from absolutely from end to end um and that's uh that's a it's a huge responsibility um and a challenge and i think that um certainly um you know some of the 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 what what makes the job really really interesting is the just the sheer diversity sure you you know you can be and you, you talked about some of the um some of the places that we we provide food service to and you know and we do have if you take for example is predominantly in the in the parisian market we have we have some really uh front facing to the consumers so you know whether it be the eiffel tower which is actually restaurant um you could have something like you could be on the uh, bateau parisian on the seine in paris again that's a sodexo experience um even to the point of lenort in terms of retail stores and we also have a culinary school which mm-hmm. is run by lenort as well um so in terms of the the breadth you know whether it's you know you know whether it's the uh, the DACA car Rally, which is all about logistics, and again mm-hmm. that's a um, Sodexo facility, or a very very uh, large remote mine that could be in South America or in um, in Australia. Is then that's really is as much about logistics and as much about in terms of making sure that we can get the product to the to the consumer. Um, from a a logistics perspective. But what I think is very, very, to me, which makes Sodexo a very, very um, unique company is your your fact that um, we were established in the early 60s by Mm -hmm. Pierre Um, We only have um, our second chairman, which is Sophie Bella, which is quite interesting. Um, so, and the company, as large as we are, remains family controlled. And I, and I think that's something that I would say should not really be underestimated. I think it's fair to say that that means, um, you know, very much Sodexo as an organization is focused on the long term mm-hmm. um, in terms of the role that we play. Um, as well as certainly the values of the family goes through the organisation, and I think that's uh, it, that's, that's unique, yep. and it brings a very strong culture in into Sidexo. So I think it's a it it, it what it what it makes us very very different. I think, yep. um, and to take your point is it's really interesting that we're so diverse in terms of the way we as a company um, play in the market, I suppose. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's providing the um, food at Ascot for Ascot Week, um, which is huge volumes, um, or whether it's, you know, provision of um, the catering for a, for a university here in the U.S., um it's very very different and yep. I think that you know the point that I would make is Sodexo is an organization as you said right at the beginning is you know we're broad in terms of the services that we provided um not only just in food services but with the other services we provide as well as our vouchers business as well as our in-home services business that that helps us in terms of particularly through the very difficult times that we've had um, through COVID to um to be able to um weather the storm well um which i think for for some organizations has been has been predict you know has been very difficult um so yeah i think that that you know that helps if that makes any sense
0: absolutely absolutely And thank you for sharing that. I I did see the part about being a family-owned organization. I always find those little facts about about interesting companies uh, quite uh, (laughs) unique in in today's world. But that's
1: awesome. I think think your point is for a company of our size, it's absolutely phenomenal that that's been a really core value of the company to remain, um, you know, you know, obviously we're, we're listed on the stock market, but in terms of being able to p- protect the independent sure. companies is a very, very um, interesting um, challenge, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, something that it's very passionate, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. From a company's perspective.
0: Absolutely. Um, John... I read a piece that you wrote um, I think was it last year and it was about a really interesting fact that um, currently uh, 75% of the world's food supply is represented by only 12 plants and five animal species Um, and you you recently, um, announced a partnership, uh, between Sodexo and two other groups, one with the Noor organization and one I think the World Wildlife uh, Foundation, talking about the <laughs> development of, of what you term future 50 foods. Um, I can think about, you know, just sitting back in, in, in my own time that I've been hanging out on this planet and, you know, I've seen, you know, the quinoa come along and faro. And, and I think that, you know, the kiwi wasn't very popular back in the seventies, but now it's everywhere. Uh, Talk a little bit about sort of the plans for uh, for some of these these future foods, because I think it's rather fascinating that, you know, you not only obviously you have to deal with the, the 100 million meals and all the stuff that we currently focus on, but in this world, that, you know, where we're constantly thinking about sustainability, conservation, and so forth. Uh, a lot of plant species, a lot of animal species out there that we don't normally think of as, as foods uh, in our daily diet, but talk a little bit about what you're planning here.
1: Yeah, sure. I think, you know, we've been on a journey, and I think in terms of, for, for for us as as an organization and going back to the point in terms of when you're as big as we are then we have a responsibility a responsibility to the planet and also a real responsibility to our consumers and you know that in terms of the reduction in our overall carbon footprint is 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 really of a, a focus to us um and the key thing is is to is to look around to understand you know you know some of the uh, alternative grains and pulses that are available to us that says you know that are more uh, sustainable to grow
0: mm-hmm.
1: require less water etc and i think your point is really valid is to understand you know what's the next quinoa you know what's what's the next thing that's going to come across mm-hmm. so we worked very closely with uh, north foods obviously unilever um, and a number of key partners to understand in terms of how we could um, look at promoting and making available to some of our consumers some alternatives mm-hmm. to what they would normally uh, purchase, or um, that, that that really could be introduced into the diet. So, understanding to take to take your point is is how can we look at being less reliant on some groups and broaden out in terms of the um the, the the products that we could make available to our consumers and so that that's kind of like the overall reason to it the other thing that i would say is that you know that's something that we that we've recognized and which is really really important is um the quality and taste of the recipes in which the ingredients are used and making them a real alternative to the consumer and i think that's the one point that i would make is that um you know i think if you think about it in like health and well-being has been a very good example is in the early days it was almost puritanical in terms of the product (laughs) and you're like you're really you know the amount of sacrifice that you want me to make for what I perceive as a relatively low return, I'm not quite sure. So I think in terms of, that was one of the things that focus does. So that's why in this particular case, we brought a number of our chefs from different countries around the world, put them in one place together, gave them the ingredients and said, right, okay, now go play, uh, develop recipes, and, and do things that you believe in turn out, uh dishes and and that you would be proud to serve that you believe the customers would see as a is a real alternative so i think the team developed in the early stages about 40 something um, new uh, recipes Mm -hmm. um we because of our size um we've been able to make it available now i think we're in 15 countries so we've worked very closely with our supply chain to make sure that, that the um, the product's available. And I think in terms of availability, um, the product range now is available in about 6,500 sites. So it's, it's kind of, and you know, our hope is that uh, consumers will take the opportunity to try them, uh, that will like some of them. And these are ingredients and products that they can find that are readily available on the high street, but just used in a very, very different way. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of, you know, our overall approach. And, it, you know, it's part and parcel of our overall commitment to increase the amount of plant base yep. in our overall menu as, menu as a whole. Um, and I think that, you know, that it, it, to me, it's something that is going to continue in terms of as a a trend Um, and you know even to the point i think it's almost going to be go you know to a, a, a way of people choosing in terms of being balanced in their overall menu so i think you know i think certainly from certainly from our perspective um you know it's good that we that we partner with external groups Um, You may have seen also, we created something that we call the Future Food Collective. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And that's where we bring in, so Food for Climate League, Sodexo, some of our vendor partners and use resource within some of our vendor partners that we wouldn't necessarily have access to. And then kind of bringing these individuals together in a a way um, to really challenge us to think about, What should we be really considering? How should we really be thinking about the future? And and making recommendations on on where we as an organization um, needs to go. And it's great to have that external influence, be able to say, take the blinkers off and look at this in a very, very different way and perhaps you have in the past.
0: Absolutely, and it got me thinking to somebody. You know, I have a couple of friends that live down in Brazil, and they always talk about how you know a couple hundred fruits they have down. I can't even name yeah, <laughs> thirty 100. fruits. I don't know what you're talking about, but it's nice to see that you know, especially with your, uh, you know, your uh, international, uh, model there that you're able to, uh, source and, 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 sort of, uh, make the right context with the thought leaders to, to explore some of these things we never, had never heard of. I'm not I'm not ashamed to that, <laughs> that I haven't heard of some of these plants, but, but, it, it, but
1: yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I think sometimes you, you, I think the one point that I would make, and I think some you have to recognize is some of these products are really, really good, yeah. but they're not necessarily easy. Yeah in in the way that you have to manage them and easy in the way you need to cook with them so i think in terms of there's a bit of development on our side with our chefs in terms of the you know how how to work with the product and how to treat the product Mm -hmm. but then you know in the same way we make a lot of those um you know recipes and ways of working available to our to our consumers so they have the ability to be able to learn from some from some of the things that we've done and perhaps some of the mistakes that we've made. And but you know I think in terms of like all of this stuff it's kind of opening your eyes to it in terms of making it available and I think in terms of I go back to the point that I would raise in terms of the environment that we serve within it it, it really takes away that risk and those barriers because you know, we can produce it. We can make it available, so you're not having to go out and buy a, a lot of product and then go. Well, do I? Am I really going to like this? You yeah. can you can taste it, and then you can you can be educated to it, and you can make your own decision. Is this something that I want to do at home? So yeah, yeah I think that, that you know, um, it's something certainly that you know I think it's going to be interesting in terms of you know the the fact around climate change and what that's going to mean and how. You know how crops are going to be grown into the future and and the whole challenges that some parts of the world will have because of changing environment is to understand in terms of you know potentially could there be other crops available that they could you know with a changing environment that they could grow that will help them sustain themselves within the within the individual countries so yeah it's going to be a challenge for us for sure absolutely an
0: interesting challenge
1: nonetheless (laughs) well you know i i think the point that i would make is because of our size um because of uh, of our approach is that you know and certainly if i take something like the u.s market is that you know once the starts to lean into a product and starts to put it into our menu cycles um that starts to bring distribution that starts to bring product availability so it kind of is a is a In some cases we can be a facilitator in helping get some of these products more broadly distributed, just because of our sheer size.
0: John, when I go into uh, my kid's school, and it's actually where I went to school, it's it, it, it's, it, it's like night and day. Um, you know, I'll go into the cafeteria, occasionally have lunch with them, and you know, there's sushi. Uh, and there are, you know, as you were saying, a wide range of plant-based alternatives. Uh, Brussels sprouts, which <laughs> was always like the bane of my existence, that I look really good and you know, the way we we cook them and, and, and how we flavor them and all this stuff. Um, Nonetheless, there's always parents hanging around. They're like, we need more health and nutrition and <laughs> behind the food. Um, you at Sodexo have a, a fascinating health and wellness initiative called Mindful by Sodexo. Uh, and it, it seems like it's not just about the, the, the nutrition component. You have uh, something called mindful tools, uh, involves wearables, and, 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 and there's apps that Talk a little bit about it. It's really a, a very complex, but very interesting health and wellness uh, program.
1: Yeah. So, so, so basically, we did a bit of a bit of research um, around all of our different wellness programs around the world, and we kind of figured out what worked and what didn't work. And the one thing that was was very very clear to us that the minute that our consumers perceived that we were lecturing. Is all of a sudden they became switched off to the idea of thinking about health and wellness, and it was kind of like we don't, you know, we don't want to be dictated to. Sure. So we decided uh, back then that we would. We worked with our dieticians um, in a number of countries, and we laid out what would be our criteria um, in terms of you know reduction of sodium, etc. And 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 we would have some criteria around what something could be if it was, it was mindful. Okay. And then we said, what we want to do is to develop a range of menus and recipes that would meet our mindful criteria, okay. th- that would be really exciting to the customer and not perceive huge consumer sacrifice. Okay. so we so and we also we ran competitions like you know tell us what tell us what dishes you'd like to make us to make healthy so i'll give you a really good example something like we got one of the big requests in was for flatbread how could we do flatbread and how could we make it much more healthier how could we do a healthy hamburger
0: okay.
1: even in the early days we were doing a mushroom beef blend that enabled us to give a decent and also as well as reasonable portions because there's no point saying oh we can give you something really really healthy healthy and it's kind of like one and a half ounces two ounces of something i no, mean, it uh, has to be so that's kind of the, the the premise that we came from and then the next thing that we said was well you know if you want to do a little bit of exercise what are the things that you can do that will make a difference, but are not seen like, this is a, a huge journey that you want me to embark on. So with little tips like, you know, mark out what we call the mindful mile. So what would, just what a circuit would look like close to your workspace around walking a mile. Made recommendations like, just park at the end of the car park, not the car parking spaces the nearest to the door Um, and just gave lots of tips and ideas Mm -hmm. around things that you could do that all just contributed to an improvement in your overall uh, uh, wellness. You know we also talked about things like um, you know in terms of you as an individual taking time, uh, your mental wellness, so to really a, a broad program in terms of in all of its facets around wellness. So it didn't just narrowly focus just on food, but it also focused on the other stuff. Um, And as I say, and, and, and making, particularly as it related to food, making menu items that were every day, but that we substituted product, we changed the cooking method and we did things, all of them materially impacting um on the on the health properties of the individual menu um and it, and, it, and it's you know it's worked phenomenally well for us if i look at the um the menu mix you know so whereby what's our rate of sale within a within an account is we were able to double the amount of healthy options that would mm. be consumed by our customers um, and you know, we've done some gamification. So all of the kind of the tips and ideas that you could possibly use and try to make it fun. um, And, and, you know, really just taking a very participative approach to to wellness, making it broader um, and just making it more acceptable to the consumer um, with a very clear view is that we want to significantly increase participation um, and people, you know, and it's quite interesting is, you know, even making all of the recipes and everything available for the consumers to do at home, um, it's amazing that how many, and you know, how, how much feedback that we get, and there's also this ability to ask dietitians questions and stuff like that, so we try and make it something that is, uh, prohib- you know, in terms of not prohibitive and seen as a huge sacrifice in terms of, making healthy choices and i think it goes in it goes kind of like along the lines that you were talking about earlier is in terms of you know that the whole thing around flexitarian and seeing a lot more people that are are actually choosing Mm -hmm. Mm plant-based as a part and parcel of their overall menu and in terms of their choices within the week Um, And so I think, I think it's, it's quite interesting, this, you know, this approach that I think people are now taking is, it doesn't have to be all one thing, it can be, you know what, I can just have a broad menu and I, and I, and I make choices that are right for me. And, you know, I think our role is to make the products available, make Mm -hmm. them tasty and, and, and make the information available to consumers so that they can make the choices that they want to make in terms of the overall menu. But, you know, I think in terms of, I think what's going to be interesting for me is, and I think we see it in a number of other things, but particularly as we start to think about um, plant forward is that I think it's not necessarily understood broadly by our customers. And I think that's going to be one of the things that we're going to have to be really focused on in the coming months and years, because I think that um, consumers, it's quite interesting, is consumers don't necessarily understand what we mean by plant forward. And I'll just give you some interesting that we, we did a we did a survey across um UK, US, uh, France, China, Brazil. Okay. And we asked consumers some questions around the whole topic of um plant-based. And it was quite interesting. 42% thought, well, it's just not, it's just not dairy and eggs. Yeah, like, okay. 28 percent said, Well, you can have some dairy and eggs. And 29% said, Well, you can still have meat, but it's just reduced. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay. And and I think the other thing as well is that, you know, the view as well that particularly on some of the protein alternatives, the perception was, and it's really healthy. And it's quite an interesting, because if you actually looked at some of the protein alternatives, perhaps not what the consumer would would, uh, perceive. And I think also as well, as when you start to ask consumers, what's your motivation to go down a a route of potentially what would be uh, a plant-based diet, is the, the two overriding drivers was health and the environment mm-hmm. health was at 61% and the environment it was at 53 so i think in terms of the consumers are beginning to really start to understand there is you know the environment what they choose to eat there's a direct correlation between the two and i think that's going to be something that uh, is continue to put pressure on on this particular um Category, I suppose, for the want of a better word. But it was interesting for me is when you asked them about taste, it was something like about 25% of the consumers had it had any thoughts around taste. But the vast majority was around the environment and health, healthy choices, which I think is is uh is is, is quite interesting. And I think the the other thing for us from as an from an organizational perspective is that that um, it's quite interesting that something like, I think, I think about 53, 54% of the consumers said they eat three meals a day plus numerous snacks. Mm. And we had about 7% of the consumers said they have five, five smaller meals, not three main, three main meals. And then it's something like 25% of the consumers said three meals a day, no snacks very very re- re- regimented so it's quite an interesting in terms of in terms of you've got some people that are not snacking some people that are snacking and then you've got groups relatively small at seven percent are on the kind of like i'd rather have five small meals spread out through the day rather than three major meals so so i think in terms of all of those things going to certainly for us go back to the to start of this conversation is makes it very very interesting is yep. evolution of the way people want to eat yep. versus their thoughts about wellness versus their thoughts about the environment very interesting
0: and i'm in i'm in group one by the way i, I snack an exceptional amount probably much <laughs> much more than i should but uh, yeah i'm definitely in that snacking category <laughs> um so john so we talk about okay so people want Uh, healthy foods they want foods that are good for the environment they want novel uh, varieties of food fun Uh, we mentioned that as well Uh, but the one thing an organization like yours uh, has to constantly be thinking about is that the the food has to be there Uh, when you're serving 100 million uh, people a day or 100 million meals uh, obviously uh, pandemics and and, and supply disruptions and and so forth get in the way uh, and you know I would assume, you know, if if all of a sudden, you know, the onions don't show up on on the tanker ship at some point, at some port, you can't just substitute uh, garlic or or whatever the combination may be. Um, Talk a little bit about future-proofing and how an organization like Sodexo with the 100 million uh, meals uh, deals with some of these big issues, especially that we've seen in the last couple of years.
1: Mm. I think, I think, I'll turn your question a little bit on its head a little bit. Please. Is it, I would say that within the food service industry, historically in the past, um, it was very much along the lines of what you've just said. Is that at, at individual site level, um, that the whether it's the chef or whether it's the chef manager would place the orders. Um, and then As you say, you always then, and it's been around for a long time, you know, what was not available, what had been substituted, what had been changed, Mm -hmm. what didn't turn up that day, etc. And there was a huge opportunity for our individual site managers to get as creative as they needed to be to ensure that there was product available to the customer. So we got lunch out or we got breakfast out or we got dinner out. And, you know, to some degree, that's kind of where food service came from. But what the challenge that we face today is that um, our consumers are very, very demanding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in some cases, from a legislation perspective, we've got to be making available calorific content of the new new items. We've gotta be talking about what allergens, all of those things that historically, we didn't necessarily have to put in front of the consumer. So those are all things that today that we have to make available to the consumers. The other thing that I would say that has really, really escalated this is through COVID, you've seen a lot more facilities move to click and collect digital uh, ability to pre order. Mm-hmm. So, if you think about it, is you've got a huge requirement to put into the hands of our consumers new accurate nutritional information as well as allergens, as well as making those products available to the consumers through digital applications and also that means if you start talking digital you know and i you as a consumer i'm sure the same as me is when you go on to um you know a restaurant website and you see pretty awful pictures you kind of okay let's go let's move on i'm not buying from there or your, your grocery store when you can't see the product that you want to buy you don't buy it because there's no picture there's just a grayed out box mm-hmm. so on top of that we've got the whole food photography, menu piece. So all of that puts a huge pressure on any provider in our place to be much more disciplined around what we're putting into that to into our unit. So not to try and um, get too boring, but you know we have To be able to manage that for the first time ever, we have a very, very clear what we would call end-to-end food management process. We're using a lot more technology now Mm -hmm. than we've ever used in the past. We're doing, we have the ability to make real-time changes in the menus at site level. If particularly we have an issue around Uh, product lack of availability or some challenges and obviously our supply chain does a really really good job in terms of um, clear understanding for us within the food platform what product's going to be available to us when we think we might have a particular challenge in a country or a market around um, availability of product so what I would say to you is is how we're managing it is um we have and it's very boring but we have a very very strong uh process that we manage we each of the the segments within each of the countries has very segment specific menu cycles and multiple menu cycles that are really focused on delivering their consumer experience which is all managed Uh, by the food platform we're able to aggregate that up so we can have conversations with our supply team in terms of saying okay right this is what product we need available this is how it's going to look and those are the conversations then that we will have with them that they'll say well you know what you're going to have a real problem on these particular commodity groups okay fine then what commodities can we get access to what will we have and then we will you know we will go in and proactively manage the overall menu to make sure that we can we can account for the things that you've just talked about but that still doesn't mean we'll get a curveball thrown at us you know kind of like this week that x is not going to be available um and then you know our job then is to write okay fine where is that product appearing next week
0: mm-hmm.
1: where is it within the menu what can we get access to What changes do we need to make? We can make them in the system. And then to the point that I was trying to raise you, that automatically recalculates all of the nutritional, makes the changes that we need to make on allergens and enables us to push it from a technology perspective directly to the consumer. So our digital applications to consumers are directly linked to our food management system, site-specific. So if our site-specific menu changes, that's then reflected in the technology that's a, that's attached to that account so um, you know it, it it is it is um it is a, it, it's quite an interesting challenge that we face within the industry in terms of you know being very very focused on delivering safe food to our consumers but also ensuring that so I think in terms of what I would say to you is, is, you know, is I hear some people say to us, oh, well, you know, that stifles the chef creativity and, and all of those, those comments. And, you know, my point you know, from my days in operations would be is, you know, all chefs have their favorites and what they like and what they like to cook. And they perceive they know their customers because their customers experience to what they naturally cook. But what I would say is what we what we do is, um, we really, really um, we buy, we undertake huge amount of research to understand emerging trends. So when we're building the menu cycles on behalf of the segment, we take a lot, we take all of that information, we take the trends, we, we take all our health and wellness commitments and everything else, and manage them into the mix so that we change, um, and we provide innovation, and I th- I would say is that um, the commitment that from for me and, and our development chefs is is to provide menus that are on trend, mm-hmm. and 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 you know we see um, in the time that I've been doing this, it's you know it you know we're seeing some fairly significant changes in terms of how that overall profile changes with um, with the customers so yes. it's it it's a uh, you know it's not necessarily into enth- you know like really sexy and exciting but I mean I think in terms of you know the um what we want to do and I think it will continue is that um it's going to be more around providing a consumer experience yep. and I think that's going to be critical to success within within the industry mm-hmm. I think personalization. Is going to become more and more important with mm-hmm. your consumers, and and how do you, how do you achieve that? Um, and you know, my point to you is that um, consumers now are you know I talked about it earlier. You know, sixty one percent of our consumers are making decisions because of of health. Mm-hmm. So, but it's decisions that they want to make about themselves. So, our role is to provide them with all of the information that they need so they can make their choices that are right for them. And, you know, uh, to take your point, going right back to the beginning of the conversation is, you know, you could be a Marine or you could be working on an oil rig in very, very harsh conditions. And, you know, maybe you do need eight, 10,000 calories a day to, to, to sustain the energy that you need to do the job. That you do. Yep. On the other end of the spectrum, you may be in a sed- sedatory role, and you need two and a half, three thousand calories. Mm-hmm. So you know, in terms of just something as simple as calorific value, in terms of there's a huge, broad requirement that we've got within the industry, and that's why I go back to the point that I made: is the the menu cycles that are developed within our countries are very, very targeted on each of the segments that that. They support so, mm-hmm. you know the ones that will be done for your for your children in the schools in in Philadelphia will be specific for the age range, government legislation, and delivering what we need to do, and that's going to be very very different to could be a senior or even more different to an adult at work mm-hmm. or a patient.
0: Uh, I know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's not boring. I, 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 it's, um, you know, I think it all comes back. I didn't mention this first, but I think like on the Sodexo website, it actually, you refer to yourself as a quality of life company so i mean all this comes into the you know quality of life right it's it, it, i think it's a a beautiful example and the fact that you have it sort of uh, organized and controlled at this level i think speaks to the uh, one thing it speaks to the you know why the company has been so successful and what it's been doing over the years so um very exciting
1: sorry i think you're i think you're absolutely right but i think in terms of as we as we start to look forward is that you know technology is going to become an integral part of what we do when mm-hmm. you know you touched on it is you know and at the moment you know let's be honest some of it is um relatively niche it's quite interesting you know yeah. we've we've got pilots running where we're we've got robots making salads or we've got you know um we've got um you know we've got robotic carts in a university delivering food to 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 students and 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 all of this thing is around accessibility people want convenience so technology is going to play an important role you know the ability for like contactless payments so you know you literally you scan your phone when you go in you go around your brew browse the restaurant you pick up the dishes that you want etc and as you go out you scan your phone again and you get charged so i think in terms of you know tech for me um technology will continue to play um a bigger role in the Mm -hmm. provision of food service but i think for me the counter to that will be that those people that that are serving the consumers will be highly focused on delivering a true consumer experience. So you've kind of got, there's this bit over here where it's no really value add. I don't know about you, but you know, for me personally, not having to stand in the line with a tray, (laughs) pay for my food and get run up is no hardship for me to scan my phone. I I mean, I buy into that. So, So I think what we will see is that, you know, kind of those roles that are not value add, don't really create an experience. I think we'll see technology overtakes that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that the roles that we will have will be heavily, heavily focused on providing that consumer experience. And then the more digitalization that we have, the more more data we have, then predictive analytics and just being better to take your point around product. What do we need? how we forecasting that's where we're going to see predictive analytics come in so we have a much longer better understanding around uh menu planning at a site level and what does that look like in terms of from an order from a from a production perspective um you know and to me that's just going to be and i think the other point that i would raise to you that i think it's it's quite interesting for those of us like me that have been around a long time is remember when you did everything manually <laughs> um and you and, you know you, you you know you've got some people that argue to, oh well you know you really had a handle on your business and all the rest of it but you know i can remember in the old days you know when you asked to recost cost out for menu mix it was a painful experience and it took forever yeah. our managers today have it at the push of a button at the end of service in in nanoseconds which would have been hours and hours of work Um, but also as we see new people uh, coming into the industry yes challenge around you know uh the the, you know talent is there's an expectation of, of people entering in into the food service industry now that though that technology and you know, you know AI and digital and everything else is just what they've been brought up with, and not to experience it. You know, within service is just, you know, it's just something that you know we we will not we will not attract sorry attract and retain the talent that we need without having the systems and the technology to enable them to do the job that they're used to doing. Really fascinating. John, what um, you're going to
0: be uh, in 2022, you're going to be speaking at uh, the the Future Food Tech uh, Conference. Uh, you've talked a little bit about, well, you've taken us into the future with digitalization and robotics and, and, and so forth. Um, what you can talk about, what you're going to be talking about, what other things potentially it's not confidential, but things are getting you excited for 2022 and beyond. And then uh, so as a part of that, obviously food tech uh, on sort of the startup front is kind of hot nowadays out of venture capital, putting money into it. Um, what, what do you look for in terms of uh, partners, in terms of small startups or other innovators that you know, may have a, a new protein source or an interesting robot or, or whatever it may be? Uh, how, how do they partner with Sodexo? What are you looking for in terms of the, the startup uh, companies?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think I think for, for us is that um you know what we look for is something that's been particularly well thought through. Does that make sense? True. Doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be huge, but in terms of the innovation and the idea has been thought through. Uh, for us. It's having a very clear understanding around where that particular piece of technology or that particular product will sit within our overall portfolio. And, you know, where is it focused? Um, certainly, from certainly from our perspective as well, is then understanding um, is there an ability to scale up? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's one of the things that. Um, you know, sometimes that we get challenged with is some um, really great ideas some great innovation but the sheer logistics of the product or the availability of the product means it's incredibly niche and incredibly small that doesn't mean to say it's not of interest to us it doesn't necessarily mean to say we wouldn't we wouldn't run a poc or a pilot we would um, um but, you know, but with a very clear understanding, it's going to be relatively niche to us. So I think in terms of, for me, some of the things that that, that of interest in terms of as we start to move forward is I'm very interested around um, uh, plant-based dairy alternatives. And by that, I mean real credible alternatives, because... Some of the product that's currently available, I almost equate it to the very early days of some of the gluten-free product that we Mm were subjected to. And if you look at it now, some of the gluten-free product is awesome and is no way in any shape or form it's a sacrifice. So so I think particularly as it relates to dairy, I think it's not quite as evolved out as it is around... um, Sort of animal protein alternatives i think some of those the, those products are very very good i i will be also more interested in and it might be an oxymoron um more protein alternatives that are a little bit more clean label than mm. some of the ones that we see today and i think also as well is probably an organization start to think a little bit more about health and wellness so know, some of the sodium contents and stuff oh, yeah. like that, some of the product. Um, so I think it's interesting for me in terms of where we get to um, on a plant-based milk. I think the summer, there's a few creamers out there at the moment that really perform well. Some of the cheeses seem to, you know, work better when they're heated versus when they're eaten cold. So that's gonna be, I think that's gonna be an interest to us. Um, I'm also going to be interested to see because it's got to, it's got to come in terms of um, alternative to seafood in terms mm-hmm. of from a, from a plant-based perspective. Um, so you know, at the moment we are committed to go to 100% sustainable seafood. For me, the the next step for us would be then, and how much of that seafood can we can we alternate with that? You know, with a plant-based alternative that has particularly because if you think about it from a seafood perspective there's a lot of health benefits from seafoods in terms of you know being good for the diet and so therefore any replacements really would have to kind of play into um into that space Um, yeah so i think in terms of you know I'm, i'm very interested in in um particularly the evolution around the whole plant categories but within different categories I think that's gonna be interesting to us, Um, as well as um, any real innovation around convenience, um, because I think that's that's an area that we see very much, particularly I think it's happened through uh, the pandemic in terms of a lot more people wanting uh, product available to them. In a in in a way that's not a, not necessarily a typical vending type alternative. So what what could that what could that look like in terms of? And then um, you are getting to the point, and we you know we we've, we've seen some early examples of it in terms of robotics to to uh, to do shell fill. Um, so that we that you know particularly where you've got you know fairly significant uh evening services where not only do you have to pay significant premium to try and get people to want to work but also you've got people from a social perspective don't necessarily want to work those hours so so i think it'll be a question in terms of technology in in that in 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 some of those areas will be um will be really interesting to us and uh, as well as i think you know when we when we look at the uh delivery model direct to consumers and using aggregators it's a very intensive way of getting the product that last mile and the question will be is what technology will be brought in to help make that much more accessible to to consumers so i see that there's many things in terms of of real interest in terms of as we start to think about potentially what the future could look like and uh but you know I think, if you know conscious of time, but i think I think for me um the future is gonna be as i go as I said to you earlier I think it's gonna be much more around personalization for me yep. I think it's gonna be very much around you know give me the information that I need to make the the right choices for me personally and And I think, in terms of that that piece around delivering a very great experience,' gonna yep. be and I don't care whether you're a child at school or whether you're an adult or whatever you are. I think that the there is gonna be an expectation that that you know that I want an experience, and I think people are becoming less tolerant of mediocrity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mediocrity i mean in terms of, of service or mediocrity in terms of the quality of food that they experience i think uh, that's something that we're that we're all going to be challenged with in terms of ex, you know uh, improving in in all those areas
0: and on that john i just have to ask as you're responsible for for serving 100 million consumers a day do you cook a lot, or do you like to go out to eat? <laughs>
1: uh, well, anybody that follows me on Instagram would say I probably do too much of both. Oh, uh, you, uh, I I personally, uh, particularly when it comes to the few holidays that I take, I definitely choose locations uh, where I can experience some great food. Uh, I very recently went to... California mm. and I had I ate in uh I ate in a couple of Michin starred restaurants I ate in sure. uh, French laundry and single thread. Okay uh, and so yeah but the one thing I would say I I like variety so being in California and you guys you know, oh yeah you know French laundry was great or single thread was just absolutely amazing but I was also recommended a pizza restaurant had that had the most amazing pizza <laughs> and fresh grilled peaches and sweet corn the best so for me it's kind of yeah i enjoy food i enjoy to cook thanksgiving is on on uh, thursday so yes we'll, we'll be doing the whole thanksgiving please um but i like both and i think in terms of um there's some great food out there and there's some very very passionate people and, I, and i'd I don't. I don't. You know, not to rattle on, but you know, one of the I think it was last year. I think last year or the year, no year before is I went to Mexico, and went to Mexico City, and I went to Pujol, of course, which is the restaurant that everyone says you better go to. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I did a food tour of uh, taco stands on on the corners of streets and in markets. Mm-hmm. I had some of the best food ever. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You never know. You never, I had some excellent sushi in Mexico City, actually, a few years ago. Who would have thought? <laughs> so, who would have thought, you know? <laughs> well, this has been delightful, John. I mean, it's it's been fascinating hearing about um, your journey and, and everything that you're going to be doing moving forward with the company. It's, it's very exciting times. And um, for, for everybody that uh, is going to be listening uh, to this particular episode uh, on our podcast or, or watching on the YouTube channel, uh, you've been listening to John Wright, Senior Vice President, Global Head of Food at Sodexo, innovating at the fascinating forefront of quality life services and experiences. Uh, John, I want to thank thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to, to talk to us for a little while today. Obviously, thank you for everything you're doing there on the innovation front. Uh, as we say on this show, thank you for helping to create a better tomorrow through everything you're doing. Really fascinating story.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, and it was great to meet you.